0: Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK.
1: Hello and welcome to The Truth About Local Government. At the moment, care is a topic which is having a huge amount of attention. It's an important topic that needs to be addressed. It needs to be properly funded. and We need to have the right people in place to tackle the care system. Now, today I'm really excited to have Aisling Khan, who is an, a really experienced interim. Um, whose last role was Strategic Director of People and Communities, uh, Joint Deputy Chief Executive for the Isle of Skilly. I'm very jealous um, that that I've not been there myself, or silly, as I should say. Um, But firstly, before without further ado, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm really well. Thanks for having me. Amazing. So today, guys, uh, listening at home, we're going to be exploring two things. Partnerships and their absolute, uh, how essential they are. Um, for genuine care production, and ED&I, and I won't go into detail on the second topic because uh, I won't do justice to it, but um, Ashley will um, kind of come on to why that's such an important topic for all local government uh, leaders at all levels. So um, let's keep things off then. So Ashley, partnerships, how important are they?
2: Well, they're essential, and I don't think you can land um, system change without genuine partnership. And genuine partnership isn't about lots of meetings. It's about trusted relationships with people that matter. And it's been interesting for me because um, I suppose there's a bit of myth-busting about working in a very remote local authority, where we might assume there's not lots to do, but I sought out partnership nationally. I work with local authorities across the country seeking out best practice. I work with Rotherham and Essex, City of London, Bristol, And I think all local authorities need to keep kind of, you know, that kind of practice where you just connect with people who are doing it really well. And I think that's what we did on SLEA to keep our perspective big. I think partnership is important on a place-based level and genuine partnership, not just lots of meetings, but really trusted, okay, I hear, you know, what you're saying and you're actually genuinely listening, just not hearing not waiting to answer questions and being right. Um, I'm a massive fan of co-production done well. I've had national experts from Rotherham to support us to get co-production absolutely right, where you listen to the quietest and loudest voices and every voice in between and what that feels like. Um, I myself am care experienced and I know how one can be left out of the designs the services that you know inside out and i'm really keen that those people who are most experienced in the delivery services understand it i am passionate about equality diversity and inclusion which goes above and beyond protected characteristics it's about understanding what voices are telling you um, and not making assumptions I'm working with a friend on um, South Asian voices in rural communities. So I think we can make assumptions about EDI. That is a very urban requirement. But actually in rural communities, which have very specific issues around poverty and um, exclusion, how it feels um, for those people. So I don't know. I think there's a thing about nuance in how you approach children's services I think you can do both place-based system-based and national-based approaches to improvement.
1: I think it's fascinating as well I just want to go back to what you just talked about there about the the rural um, challenges for ethnic minorities or underrepresented um, sections of, of society and communities because um, it's you are right it's generally considered an urban um, area of focus how what's what's that all about can you use a bit more detail around the initiative that you're working on?
2: Yeah, so I've done some work with, I'm doing some work with um, somebody I was introduced to about South Asian voices called Connecting Britain, which is looking at the kind of quieter voices around um, um, South Asian representation in other areas. So one, imagine South Asian representation very heavily in, say, London, Leeds, Bradford, and, you know, that's again where my own father Um, settled um, when he moved from Bangladesh but actually there is a kind of group of people have moved to other more remote communities and so how does it feel if you don't have maybe a kind of more organized sort of culture around you to support like your lived experience Um, I'm not saying that there'd be negative experiences I'm not saying there would be positive experiences I'm saying do we know and actually, even in more kind of defined um, populations where you have a large population of South Asian people, do you definitely know what all the voices within that population think? So I think it's really easy to take for granted that you know what you know. Um, mm. uh, on my belief, and um, everything I've ever done through quality assurance and audit is, how do you know what you know? And if you don't know something, that's okay, But just be honest and write that down and say you're going to find out. Um, But I think there's a real subtlety now to um, equality, diversity and inclusion, which is much bigger than, you know, like, you know, I said earlier, protected characteristics It's about how do we enable people to most design the services which they pay for and which we deliver. And if you are nuanced enough to listen to those voices you'll deliver services which won't be perfect because we're not aiming for perfection are we we're aiming for great outcomes Um, but the more you engage the people that um, need services and engage them in some of the limitations and opportunities of um, government investments the more you're doing it together And if you create dynamic ways of quality assuring those services and you're doing it together, you say, yeah, that's gone well. That hasn't. Always bank your successes. I think you take people on a journey. So it's not no one's been done to. They're designing it themselves. They have ownership of the services for which they pay. And we are, you know, kind of their assistance in that.
1: It's, it's so true. One of the things that I've always been very impressed with yourself, Ashton, is the way in which you've innovated, and I think a lot of that comes down to a very simple concept: you listen, and you 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 really hear the people that you've worked with, both the people that you're um, that have in your teams, um, but also the people in your that you've delivered service for, whether that be childrens and adults. I think it's it's a really interesting piece around the the geography and the challenges of more kind of rural or smaller um kind of, you know unitary or, or councils that have responsibility for childrens. How how challenging is it, you know, working in a situation where, you know, in a rural community, running children and adults? Is there anything, any misconceptions that you see in mainstream media, um, for example, or any challenges that people may have assumptions that you know you feel that actually aren't fair?
2: Oh, uh, so the myth busting around rural communities is quite interesting, especially for us down in the southwest. So obviously, lots of us, lots of my counterparts live in really quite beautiful places where everybody comes for a holiday, where they take their families for like a safe and kind of, you know, almost nostalgic trip back down to the beach, etc. But actually, the reality for lots of um, children, families and young people living in more coastal areas is there's a really specific thing around rural poverty that isn't recognised, I think um, that policy generally does tend to focus on more kind of, I suppose, obvious areas of deprivation, but there's deprivation everywhere. And actually, in rural areas, there aren't necessarily the commission services because you don't have enough in terms of numbers to provide what you might do in more urban situations. You don't kind of can't gather enough of the numbers. So... I think you have to think very creatively and innovatively. And I think you have to shout really loudly. So I've been very good at shouting in my life and attracted um, significant um, national attention to the issues um, um, for both Cornwall and the Ars as part of our system. Because um, every child, regardless of where they live, deserves to ha- achieve their ambitions. And I'm just as passionate about children in calling the silly, anywhere other than the South West, as I am about sort of more obvious areas of deprivation. But you know, you'd be interested to see the indices of deprivation in the Southwest about access to housing, education, and opportunity. Some of the some of the worst in the country, it doesn't take away from the fact that it's a wonderful place to grow up, but that's not a consistent picture for every single child. So we can't assume um that because we market palm trees and beaches and blue seas, that's the true um, picture for our resident our population. There's specific challenges. And that's, you know, I suppose to me, what's really important in terms of designing services is to think both on a place-based level in the smallest population you can all the way through to the system and back down again. Because yeah sorry i think no no, no i
1: completely agree with you and i think it's, it's really refreshing to hear that real focus around the rural communities it's something i've always been massively intrigued by because you can't necessarily got always the volume there to um to get this to kind of the visibility of it you know sometimes in urban areas there's, there's obviously a lot more people so therefore there's more yeah. issues um but i think some of the things i want to talk about that you've you know some highlights that you know you're very humble but just to kind of make this listeners aware transformation is a key area that you've done some great work in children's services you've Got rated by Ofsted as good in all categories and outstanding for leadership in 2019. And we've also done some really great work around SEND, so special yes, educational needs and disabilities. We
2: did. I mean, I would always hesitate around SEND, and I think all my colleagues who work in SEND will know that basically, um, in terms of the inspection regime prior to the new one, that basically not getting a written statement action is what constitutes success. And we all know that landing the reforms for SEND is a hard road. And the only way we can make this work is in um, collaboration with parents and carers and children and getting it right. I don't think we have. I don't think the legislation, um, I think the new bits might help. But anyway, I think it's hard and it's fraught. And the only way for it not to be fraught is to work together both on an operational strategic and leadership level um but yes we have we did get both bits um right
1: it's a very uh, relevant so, problem at the moment i mean send i mean you know today yeah. this morning i was at localis's uh, event on public finance and uh, i won't say which council but there was a um a, 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 a councillor who was the um uh, the member for children services uh, for a unitary authority and she said that I will bankrupt my council because of SEND um, and she said I've got no choice but that is and it's SEND is such a it's such an important aspect of the care system um one of the things I have around offset is that you know sometimes the people doing the inspections it depends on whether they themselves their background was in special educational needs so that they understand the intricacies of it um but it's such an important part and I think that's why you know I'm really I, I think it's fantastic obviously the relevance of the work that you've done on on Silly um compared to the, what's happening on the national picture as well. It, it is, I think, every council's really struggling. What's the trick to getting transformation to stick within Charles and, uh, you know, within the care system? I, I,
2: mean, I mean, if I had the trick, then I, you know, I would have sold it. But I think there's an approach, and I think the approach is that it's all, again, about what we all agree on, which is early intervention and prevention. So if you can capture at the earliest possible stage, if you have fantastic early years um provision which is what i did achieve got the best school readiness figures in the country if you can catch and support families at the earliest possible stage and walk alongside them you can de-escalate the demands on the service Um, i think if you work really well with schools to support them to support children i mean my huge belief is that most people who work in this system really want the best for young people no one wakes up in the morning thinking you know I'm just not going to do what I want to do but everyone gets a bit stressed about resource but the early if you can just try and move investment and attention to the earlier education of young people that might need a bit better you, if you can prevent the crisis where you start having the grumpy conversations and the tribunals and the complaints and it's far too late and you haven't prepared a young person for childhood. If you could integrate your services across the piece, and I don't, I mean with adults, but also at the wider services, across leisure, across adult learning, so that a young person is feeling supported by the public services around them. I think close working with health is essential. Um, There isn't a trick, but it is a thing about partnership and co-production if you get that right, then at least everybody involved feels they have a stake in it, whilst knowing that the perfect solutions aren't existing yet because everybody knows that resources are tight. But you have to change the process of investment and it can't keep being when everyone's panicking late in the day when you're at crisis. It needs to be a graduated response and you need to support everybody to stay in the lowest level of intervention because that's where most people want to be. They want to have their lives, want to have happy lives where their child is involved in as much stuff as any of their counterparts.
1: It's it's so true. And I guess that's the message that I think is echoed throughout local government, that early intervention is absolutely critical, that proactive engagement in sorting out or trying to help support young people. Yeah. Because and again regardless of how good the care facilities are within any part of the UK if a child goes into care they are twice as likely to end up in prison um if they were to stay with their family and you know there's always this kind of mainstream media's view that if you work in care you know you want children to come into care no no no, it's absolutely about trying to spot people that need support at the earliest possible opportunity support families and and to keep families together um but I agree it's that partnership approach to do that because you know when it does become reactive that's where the true cost comes in it's where those you know i was you know so Trent, you know i was talking to them the other day and they've got you know i think it's 1200 uh, children in, in their care and it's just it's the second highest in the uk and it's just it costs absolute arm and leg so if you can get in there in an early stage you can through partnerships um it's absolutely critical my, my last question really ashling around ed and i what do you think is the trick to having, to supporting a culture of inclusivity within an organisation um, such well, such as a council? But I was going to say within children's, but I think to it's, it's keep it nice and broad, how do you promote a positive and inclusive culture?
2: So, my view is that obviously we have to call it EDI because that's what it's called my view is what you're actually doing is strength-based leadership and practice so um, i was very um highly trained in um, signs of safety and you don't no one has to follow that model but essentially anyone that's experienced in strength-based practice knows that you start off with what's going well that's where you start because people forget what's going well what isn't and what we're going to do about it and you do those three columns And you can do that both strategically, operationally and with families. So my view that that's where EDI fits, because it's actually about what is working well for people. So don't get bogged down in um, protected characteristics. It's about listening and understanding about things that are brilliant and, and, and having evidence to show that you've listened to that stuff. So that's how I tend to approach it I think um, compassionate leadership and compassionate working with people um, evidences EDI better than anything else you can do so you can do a massive spreadsheet showing um, your representation amongst certain protected characteristics and that's very important of course but actually what is better is to show how you have worked with people to understand what their lived experiences, experiences are and how they feel about the organisation, both within and without.
1: It's, for me, one of the most critical parts of the uh, the future-proofing of resource planning for local government, in so much as making sure that people want to come and work for councils, um, is making sure that it is is compassionate. Because I think, as you said there, people come to work in local government because they want to make a difference. And that has to that kindness needs to also be in the way in which you leave people when they are in an organisation. Oh, Matt, and you're in-
2: totally right. And there's a big thing around psychological safety, you know, and then you just get the very best out of people. Like, you know, just to repeat what I said earlier, most people really do want to do a good job. And if you can create a, an environment where they can and they feel safe to call a worry and without any kind of concern about how that might reflect on them, safe, happy, confident, non-anxious workforces will do fantastic things for our service users.
1: And and again, without sounding like to to, uh, how that can translate into a workforce capacity, if somebody has good mental health, they are more productive and they do more. Um, and they have more capacity yeah. to take on more. So, and I think the last thing I would say is that I just don't think that um, you know to be compassionate doesn't mean to be weak or to be soft or not to have ambition. It simply means that you consider all of the factors of the people that you're dealing with, um, and that's something that Ashton, I think you you have in absolute abundance. And I think it's really exciting for the interim market to have someone like yourself who can support with these leadership positions. Uh, with that. Uh, mindset, I think it's fantastic, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today to talk about uh, partnerships, to talk about ed and i to talk about your journey as well, because you know it's a really interesting story, and there's a lot of positives that you can share with the, the broader network. Um, so thank you so much for coming on.
2: Thank you, Matt. You're great.
1: You've been listening to the Truth about Local Government today. We've been lucky enough to have Ashlin Khan, former strategic director of People and Communities, and joint deputy chief executive at the Isle of Scilly if you enjoyed the episode please give it a like give it a share give it a five-star review and look forward to bringing you more episodes in the coming days goodbye for now
0: you have been listening to the truth about local government podcast remember your local council does some amazing work but you can help so remember to vote and be engaged with the work they're doing if you like this podcast please like share and give a five-star review If you would like to feature on the podcast have any shout out of excellent work being done by a local authority or have any topics you would like covered please email me at truthaboutlocalgovernment at gmail.com Truth About Local Government Local Government is at the heart of what we do.